Good morning, church. So good to uh, be with you this morning to share the word. Um, now, we are beginning a new uh, theme for this month, all right, the month of September. And the theme is one, O-N-E, one. Uh, that's the theme. So uh, we'll be focusing on many ones this, uh, this, this month, okay? Now, this morning's sermon, uh, the topic is one church, one church. Um, and it's all about how we are actually one. I'm, I'm just going to start off with this one verse, John 13, 34. John 13, 34 says, love one another. And it's always been God's desire that the church and his people are one. Um, and so John, in, in John 13, 34, Jesus himself says, love one another. You know, uh, when you think of a verse like that, and it is easy for us to love people who are lovable. Um, whether uh, they be your spouse or your girlfriend, uh, whether they be your family, uh, easy to love, easy to love. Or even church members. Now, I look at this picture and honestly speaking, I uh, wonder whether the picture is on the screen. Uh, okay, I look at this picture and I miss having this in my home. I miss having people in my home. I miss having lots of people in my home. Uh, Flora and I, we love hosting people. And, and you know, um, before the pandemic hit, this would be a common thing in our home, in our living room, uh, packed with people, you know, who come over sometimes, uh, even without us having an organized program, just to come over and hang out. Uh, these are things that we miss. Uh, but it's easy to love when everybody is you know, happy and everybody is agreeable and everybody is easy to get along with. But when people are like this, when people are like this, it's difficult to love. When, you, when people gossip, when people are talking about you, uh, and people spread false rumors about you, it becomes pretty tough, right? It's pretty tough when people look like this, when they're always in your face and they're always screaming at you or finding fault at you, you know? Uh, one of the things, I mean, I used to say this before, uh, many years ago when, you know, I, when I, when I, some, some couple of churches that I uh, would go to to preach, um, the moment you step in and this is how you're greeted at the door. Whoa, Stephen, no, so fat, no, oh, so prosperous. Ah. Now, nothing, nothing takes the joy out of serving like that, right? Uh, so, uh, and yet the Bible says love one another, you know. Treat each other well, be one, be united. And then the moment you step in, they are talking about how you look and how you put on weight, how your buttons seem to be popping. Uh, mm, tough, right? Very, very tough. But then again, that's what the scripture tells us, to love one another. Have you noticed? You know, it's easy to love your kids when they are obedient, when they are agreeable. Or on a Sunday morning when you're telling them to get dressed up when they are young and 
you're all you're downstairs waiting for them and you're about to start the car in fact the car engine is running and then you go in and you find your kids still sleeping and then you give them the what Ken Davis the Christian comedian uh, and pastor would say you give them the Sunday morning look of love you know the Sunday morning look of love that parents give their kids like this that's the Sunday morning look of love. get ready now get Ready? Now, don't make me force you to do it. Um, and that's, at that point of time, how would you love your kids? Or in the car, as you're sitting and going to church, and the kids are fighting at the back, you know? Uh, and, and you hear this from children, something that parents are not equipped to handle. Dad, she's looking at me. How do you handle something like that? All right. How do you handle things like this? And it happens sometimes in the church. It happens like that in the church. And here the Bible says, no matter how they look, whether they look like agreeable, nice people, or they look like that lady that you see on your screen screaming that way, um, you're, out, you, 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 you're here to, you're asked to love them. The Lord Jesus tells us in John chapter 13, verses 34, 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, the Lord, when he said this to his disciples, he wasn't saying it to a group of easygoing people. Among that group, they were pretty tough people, difficult people to get along with. People who always thought that they are know-it-alls. People who, who were not very honest. People who had not very good backgrounds. People who were not very educated. They were the group of, group of people that Jesus spent time with. And he told them this. Love each other as I have loved you. And they come from different backgrounds. They all came from different backgrounds. There were people who were pretty educated, like Matthew, who was a tax collector. And then there were people like Peter, who was a fisherman, probably smelt a fish. Um, and they were a group of different people. I remember years ago when I went to Maui uh, for the first time, I went to Hawaii for Hegei. Uh, and then the orientation, we were told, you know, learn to understand that we all come from different cultures. Now, right now on screen, we've got people from Sabah, we've got people from Kuching, we've got people from Klang, we've got people from PJ, uh, we've got people from India, uh, all logging in at the same time. Um, and we all come from different backgrounds. I was just re we were just reminded just now in the chat uh, when Pastor Dinesh said that Malaysia celebrated 64 years of independence uh, and our sister from, from KK said, actually Malaya celebrates 64 years of uh, independence. Um, Malaysia, no. Because at that time they were not part of Malaysia and so uh, sometimes we forget because that's how we we were taught in growing up that we are one country and so we got independence in 1957 but we forget and so we all come from different places different backgrounds different cultures so in Maui where we were told because they were I think people from about 30 over nations and they said you know like the Indian brothers the brothers from India if you ask them something and they want to say yes their answer would be like this and people have quarreled 
and people have become, you know, disagreement and had a quarrel over that gesture. Because for most people, yes, it's like this. And no, it's like this. Nobody understands what this is. But that is how they say yes. All right? And, and over a small thing like that, there, there were quarrels. And there were disagreements. And people felt offended. All right? But here the Bible says, the Lord says, Love one another as I have loved you. We're going to read together Psalm 133. Uh, I love this psalm. I think it's a very special psalm. Psalm 133. All right, it's on your screen. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. I look at a, at a chapter like this, a, a, a psalm like this, and immediately I see three things about unity. All right. First of all, I'm looking at this passage, unity brings an anointing. The psalmist says that how wonderful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that is anointed on the head of the high priest Aaron that flows down his beard. You can imagine, it, it, it wasn't just a drop or two. It would be effusive. It, it would be poured onto his head that it would drip down his beard. I remember when I was in school, we had a couple of boys, you know, in the morning they would... I don't know why they put coconut oil or something on their head. And I remember one day my friend came to school and he looked hideous. His hair, his hair was plastered on his head. There was oil running down his face. The front of his shirt was, was oily. And the teacher called him out and said, what is wrong with you? Why do you come to school looking like this? What happened? And he said, I'm sorry, teacher. I opened the bottle to put oil and the bo bottle spilled all, the whole bottle spilled on my head. But it was like that with Aaron. The oil would, would, would not just, not a few drops were sprinkled. It flowed down his beard. It drenched his beard. His beard would probably be plastered on his chest. His, his, his robe would be oily and the thing would go down his robe and it would even uh, drench the hem of his robe, the Bible says. That was how they anointed the high priest. And the scripture says unity is like that. It is like anointing oil that flows from the head down to the hem of your robes. And it would, it, it would drench the community. It would drench the community. So unity brings an anointing. Okay, an anointing. And when there's unity, God begins to work in a way that, that, that is simply mind-blowing. Because there is an anointing. And then the scripture, if we look at that, that, that psalm, we see that anointing brings refreshment. And the example that the psalmist gave was that it is not just like the oil poured on Aaron's head, the high priest. It's also like the dew that falls on Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon, there are two mountains uh, mentioned here, Mount Hermon, Mount Zion. Now, Zion is where Jerusalem rests. It, it, it's, a, it's a plain from the sea. It's a distance. It goes up you know, very gradually up to uh, Highland, and that's where Jerusalem is, all right? Um, but Mount Hermon is just next to the sea, and it is a sheer climb from the sea 
um, sea level, it goes up. It's a very sheer climb up to Mount Hermon. And so Mount Hermon is always shrouded in clouds because it is very sheer. On the other side of Mount Hermon, there are these lowlands. Actually, they are marshy land. It's, ma it's a marsh. And the marsh, of course, is wet. Uh, uh, and when the sun shines hot, there would be water vapor. There will be steam that would come out from the marsh. Okay, because as the water heats up. And so the steam, the water vapor would go up into the sky and then it would precipitate and it would come down as dew. Very heavy dew, very heavy fog. And that fog would come down on the top of Mount Hermon and then it would come cascade down Mount Hermon and it would travel a distance to Mount Zion. And the scripture says unity is like that. It brings such a refreshment. Where there is heat, suddenly there is this cool dew that would come. It, it would just cascade down from the top of the mountain. And, and, and everybody else would escape the heat and because they, they now enjoy the cool of this mist that would come down from Mount Hermon. And unity is like that. It brings refreshment to the community. And then the third thing we see is that it brings a blessing. Because the scripture tells us in the last verse of that psalm, says, there the Lord would pronounce a blessing. Where there's unity, the Lord will pronounce a blessing. So there's every reason for us to strive for unity. And that's what Paul tells us to do, to strive for unity. Meaning to say that it takes work. It's not it doesn't come naturally because we all, as I said, come from different backgrounds. We come from different families. We have different, you know, uh, maybe family cultures and things like that. But we need to strive for unity because when we are united, we will see an anointing. We will, we will, we will feel a refreshment and we will see the blessing of God. So uh, this is how I'm going to progress in the message, all right? That is just... a. I've just encapsulated the psalm. And I want to look at 10 practical pursuits of unity. So now it's going to be very practical now. I'm going to talk about 10 practical pursuits. This is what we need to do. Number one, we need to see each other as equals. And that is important. All right. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 tells us this, that, Consider each other as being better than yourselves. All right? Consider each one as being better than yourself. Meaning to say, we are not only asked to see each other as equals, but actually we are asked to really see each other as being better than ourselves. Now, I've always said this. Just because I'm the senior pastor doesn't mean I know more than all of you. Doesn't mean I'm better than all of you. It's only that this is my calling. All right? So, just as much as you learn from me, I learn from so many of you, and I'm so blessed by so many of you. And that's the way we are. We are put together in the church. We are put together as a body, and we ought to see each other and value each other. Yeah. Now, the second thing um, is this. So the second pursuit, a practical pursuit, is this. Keep your head, mind your words. Keep your head and mind your words. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us this. Uh, be gracious with one another and let your speech be seasoned with salt. Uh, that's what 
the Bible tells us to do. Meaning to say that when we talk to each other, when we address one another, when we, when we uh, meet each other or even call each other up, be gracious and let your words bring about, you know, the, the word there is seasoned with salt. Meaning to say, let it bring flavor, let it, let it bring value to somebody else. Not, why, you look so prosperous, huh? That, that, that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody. All right? Uh, so let's, let's encourage one another. Let the words that come out of our mouth be something that would build one another up. All right? That's the second thing. Third thing is forgive often. Not just forgive, but forgive often. And this is one of the things that probably is one of the hardest things to do. Because to forgive someone means that somebody has hurt you or somebody has offended you uh, and so you, you feel hurt. You feel hurt or you feel offended. But the Bible tells us to forgive, to forgive one another. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 21 to 22, uh, it was Peter that came to Jesus, and Peter asked Jesus, uh, Lord, if my brother sins against me or offends me or hurts me, how many times, how, 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 how many times should I forgive him? And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, forgive 70 times 7 times. 70 times 7 times. Now, of course, people will start doing calculations and say, okay, when he reads this number, I will stop. No, that's not what Jesus really meant. He means that forgive, by the time you, 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 you forgive that many times, you would already stop counting and you will just continue forgiving. So we've been asked to forgive. Remember the scripture we, we read earlier from John's Gospel when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. I want to ask you a question. How many times have you gone to the Lord and said, Lord, please forgive me? How many times have you done that? Um, I know I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to bet, but I bet you it's many times you cannot even count. And if, you got to, and if you're asked to love one another as Jesus loved us, it means that we ought to forgive often. We need to forgive often. So if there are people in the church that offends you, people in the church who have hurt you, and you may have just cause to feeling upset, angry, disappointed, whatever it is, um, love as Jesus did. Forgive the person. Forgive the person in your heart and release. You know, somebody once said this, and I love this. They said that unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You know, uh, it doesn't work that way. Because unforgiveness is like a poison and it will kill you. It would kill your faith. It would kill your joy. It would kill your peace. Uh, and you go through life looking like a gnarled prune, you know. And nobody wants to spend time with somebody that looks like that all the time because he's griping about everything. So forgive often. Number four, pray for each other. James chapter 5 verse 16, the scripture tells us pray for one another. 
pray for each other. You know, very often when somebody tells us they have a problem or we hear, we hear something, and I, I see this happening all the time, people would type out, I will pray for him, or I'll pray for her, I'll pray for you. Don't worry, brother, I'll pray for you. Brother, sister, I'll pray for you. The question really is, do we really? Or is it something that comes off our lips or comes off the, now it comes off our thumbs uh, as we type? Um, do we really mean it? Or is it just something that we do, that we say, you know, without really meaning it? Let me tell you this, okay? Um, if you really start praying for someone, you will start to care for that person. If you really start praying for somebody, even if it's somebody who offended you, you would eventually start to feel something for that person because you've been praying for that person and you want to see things turn around. All right? So uh, that's the fourth practical pursuit. Don't just say that you would pray. Pray for each other. The fifth thing, and this is important, don't major on the minors. Don't major on the minors. The problem with so many of us in church is that we major on the minors. Why, was, why can't we have a proper piano? Why must we have keyboard? The drums are too loud. I cannot worship. Or, oh, the musicians were bad. I couldn't worship. <coughs> that person, when I came to church, didn't even look at me and said, good morning. I'm so angry. I'm so upset. And so everybody is raising their hands and worshiping the Lord. This guy is because he cannot forget that he wasn't wished good morning at the door. Let's not major on the minors. Let's, let's focus on the main thing. The main thing. And that's what we need to focus on. Too many of us focus on the minors. I remember growing up in church and there was what we used to call good grief. Some of these terms I think about now, I... I cringe. We used to have what we call Singspiration Night. Those of us who are older would remember that term. Actually, it's a worship celebration. And I remember I was worship leading that, that, that worship celebration in this rather conservative church. And, and for the first time in living memory uh, in that church, that people started raising their hands and worshiping. And there was such a presence of God in the place. And right after that service was done, some of the leaders called for an emergency meeting. And what were they upset about to discuss? I am so upset. Do you know that people actually started raising their hands? How, how do we worship God that way? It's crazy. Because God was there, His presence was there. Instead of focusing on Him, they were looking at who was raising hands, and said, I have a list of the people who raised their hands. Even that, they had time to do. And they completely missed God's presence. Don't major on the minors. Focus on the main thing. Ten practical pursuits. Number six, buy into the direction and big picture of the church. And I think this is crucial. If you're part of this church, High Point Life, or if you're part of another church, whatever church that is, there is always the church's direction, the vision of the church, the mission of the church. For us, it's at the back of our main sanctuary, at the back on the wall. It's a huge thing. You cannot miss it unless 
you're actually blind, right? You can't miss it. It's huge. And for us, we need to buy into the vision and the direction, the big picture of the church. That's what we need to do. So when we all buy into that, we all start moving together as one because that is our main pursuit, the vision of the church. And we need to do that. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 20, 29 verse 16, it says, without vision, the people would perish. Every church has a vision. We need the vision. It's a God-given vision. And we need to buy into that vision. Because when we don't buy into the vision, you know what happens? Yeah, of course, the church will not be united. But I tell you, the worst thing that will happen, according to this verse, is that if we don't buy into the vision, it would affect our community. It will affect people around us. Because when, when, when there is no vision, the people will perish. It would affect people outside the church because there is no vision. And the Bible says that when there's no vision, there's disarray and people are, are, are moving about in opposing directions and the church gets nowhere. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this. The prophet says this. Right, God tells the prophet, huh, write the vision plainly on tablets so that they who read it will run with it. So that they who read it will run with it. Meaning to say that the leader, in this case the prophet, in our, the case of our church, it would be the leadership. It would be the senior pastor and, and the leadership. All right, We have a vision. God has given us a vision and they who read it, as I said, you walk into the church, you would see the vision at the, at the rear of the church. All right, at the rear of the church. And it's there. It's huge. You can't miss it. Everywhere you go, there are posters on the vision of our church. Every room you enter in our church premises, there will be a poster with the vision of the church. Though they who read it will run with it. That is what, we, that is what needs to happen at High Point Life. That is what needs to happen with us. Not just be able to rattle off the vision by, by heart or by rote, but re, be ready to hold it in your hand and run with it. Meaning to say that we need to be filled with the love of God. We need to take the gospel and to disciple nations with the power of the Holy Spirit so that the gospel that comes from this church is not just the proclamation of the gospel but the demonstration of the power of the gospel. It needs to happen, church. Because when, when we are all in it together, when we all buy into this, we become united and a force to be reckoned with. Number seven, allow the Holy Spirit to use you to grow the church. Who ought to grow the church? Let me tell you, it is not the pastors. Too many churches rely on the pastors for the church to grow. And they say, why is the church not growing? What's, what is the pastor doing? Huh? Why, what, what is the pastor doing? What's the point of having a pastor when the church isn't growing? You think that the job of growing the church is the pastor's job? Let me just read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, all right? And it says this, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Okay, yes, there are people there that God would appoint. Their responsibility, the scripture says, verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
So our job is to teach. Our job is to equip. Our job is to give revelation. Our job is to give direction. Our job is to cast vision. That's our job. That's our, that's our calling. All right? And to equip. But the job of building the church, the job to do the work, that's collectively the, the work of the church. Collectively, it's our work together as a church. All right? So allow the Holy Spirit to use you to grow our church. What is your gift? What has the Holy Spirit equipped you to do? You have not discovered it? Then come, speak to us. Call us up and say, Pastor, I, I, I want you to pray over me and see what my gifts are. Or oh, I suspect that I could be gifted in this area. Could you confirm this with me? What do I do? Don't expect others to do a job that you have been called to do. That's not how this works. For the church to grow, for us to be one church, everybody needs to pull their weight. Everybody needs to be on board. And everybody needs to ask God, Lord, you've put me here not to warm the pew. You know, we've also heard this growing up. Come for Come to the gospel meeting, for example. Come and support the gospel meeting. And my, my, why do we need to support a gospel meeting? Our job is to bring people, bring the non-Christians, bring those who have not known Jesus. That's the job, not to come and occupy a seat. Not to occupy a seat. We all have a role to play, church. Come on. We all each have a role to play. And we've got to allow God's Spirit to use us to grow our church. Number eight, share the gospel. 2 Timothy 4.2 tells us this, that we ought to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Preach the gospel. That is our primary job as a church, as, as Christians, not the pastors. Not the evangelist. All right? You may say, but I'm not gifted as an evangelist. No, you may not be. Pastor Dinesh may be. But you're still an ambassador of Christ. You're still called to be a witness. You can still share the gospel. You ought to, because that's what you have been asked to do. It is not a suggestion. It wasn't the great suggestion. It's the great commission. You've been commanded to do that. So, share the gospel. If all of us share the gospel, we will not have time to nitpick on little things. Let me tell you this. Because our primary focus would be to save as many people as possible. Just now, Pastor Danish, I, I thought his thoughts before the communion uh, on Malaysia was spot on. We are so focused on so many things out there that we forget that at this season... People need Jesus more than ever before. They, they are looking for answers. Why are people, why are people feeling so disenchanted? What's the word? Huh? Disenfranchised. Huh? Um, disillusion. I think disenfranchised was correct. Okay, disillusion. Why are people feeling like that? Because they thought this would be the answer. It didn't work. They thought the economy would be the answer. It didn't work. They thought the good government would be the answer. Nothing seems to work. 
But we know what the answer is. The answer is Jesus. Come on, church. The answer is Jesus. Whatever the question, the answer is Jesus. And so, the church has that good news. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Number nine. Keep saying yes to God. It's the fourth point of our cultural responsibilities. High point life's cultural responsibility. I'm a yes, I can person. Our fourth cultural responsibility. Keep saying yes to God. Every time people say, we need volunteers, no, no, no. And you keep looking at somebody else. It's just like Moses, right? When God says, I want you to let go and release my people and speak to Pharaoh and go. And Moses says, get Aaron. Get Aaron. God asked when Isaiah was there and God said, who shall we send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That is how we ought to respond. I'm not sure if I can do a job. I'm not sure if I'm good enough for this. I'm not sure whether I can do the assignment, but Lord, if you need, I'm here. I'm available. And if you call me to do it, then equip me for it. Equip me for it, because this is my honor to serve you. So keep saying yes to God. And if, if this becomes a church where everyone is willing to say yes, let me tell you, this will become such a un united church. It will become a threat to the kingdom of darkness because everybody who, who comes under the covering of High Point Life would be somebody who says, yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm not sure if I can do it, but Lord, if you need, I am here. Send me. I'm saying yes to you. The moment you say yes to God, let me tell you, God will make you right for the, for the job. He will make you right for it. And finally, honor your leaders. Now, I know I put this at the end because if I put it at the beginning, you'll say, oh. But that's not what I'm looking for. All right? Uh, we're not looking for respect. But honoring your leaders is a biblical command. And you honor your leaders not because they are better than you, because they need your prayer, they need your support. You know, I think of Exodus chapter 17, and there was this, this amazing story of the Israelites about to face off with the Amalekites, all right, a war. And, um, and so the war starts. Uh, Moses sends Joshua to go and and head the war to lead the children of Israel into fighting with the Amalekites in Exodus 17. And Moses goes up to a hill, and Moses sits, uh, stands on the hill, and he holds his staff up over his head. And as long as he holds his staff up, the Bible says the children of Israel, the Israelites, would win the battle, would be overcoming the Amalekites. And when his hands got tired and he droops it, the Amalekites start to swing, the battle swings, and the Amalekites start to, to, to overcome the Israelites. And so Moses became tired after holding his staff and his arms were drooping. And then the Bible tells us two people, all right, Aaron and a man called Hur, goes up the mountain with Moses. They got a, a rock, got him to sit down, and each one of them, on, one on the other side of Moses, held his hands up so that his hands would remain up. So the two of them were holding him on both sides. So Moses' hands were held up by the two of them. 
and the Israelites overcame the Amalekites. Now, why do I mention this story? Because this tells us that your leaders can become tired. Your leaders are just like you. We are human beings. We, when, I, when I take this off, you don't see an S on my chest. I'm not Superman. None of us are superheroes. We, we have the same frailties. We have the same weaknesses as you. We struggle with the same issues. We need you to support us. Don't just say, Pastor, I'll pray for you. Pray for us. Call us up once in a while. Encourage us. We, we need those things as well. So when we say, when I'm talking about honoring your leaders, I'm not just being put them up on a pedestal. That's not what I mean. I mean, show real support. Pray for us. Encourage us so that we can lead the church well. Because we need that. We can lead the church well. So in closing, I'm just going to say this. Psalm 133 talks about a, a people who are united. And the Bible says, there I will pronounce a blessing. There I will pronounce a blessing. And we look at the apostolic church. Right? The apostolic church. And the apostolic church was like that. We see in Exodus chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, we see in Acts chapter 5, we see in Acts chapter 6, we see in Acts chapter 16. And in all those passages, if you read through the book of Acts, you will see whenever God's people were united, when they came together, the Bible says, and the church grew larger. The church grew daily. That Many were added to the church. Many came to the faith. Every time you read that the church was united, Right on cue, Psalm 133, last verse. There God would pronounce a blessing and the church would just explode and grow. And so church, I just want to end with this challenge this morning as we talk about one church. One church would mean one direction. It would mean coming together. It means working together. It means saying yes together. It would mean praying for each other. It would mean forgiving one another, loving one another, doing all these things to preserve the unity of the body. Because when we preserve the unity of the body, there will be an anointing that flows through the church. There will be a refreshing that would come to the church. And finally, there will be a blessing over the church. And that blessing is not meant to stay in the church. As we read about Aaron and we read about the dew that falls on Mount Hermon, it would flow down from the church and it would permeate our surroundings. It would permeate our communities. It would eventually permeate our nation. And this is what Pastor Dinesh was talking about. It will eventually permeate our nation. And that aroma, or that anointing, that aroma that would go out from, Mo, from, from Aaron, that people outside the tent of meeting would be able to even catch a waft of that anointing oil. <coughs> people outside the church would catch the anointing of God and the favor of God because the church has become a source of blessing. What an amazing thing it is to preserve the unity. To preserve the unity of the church. And so, I want to challenge you this morning. If there's somebody you need to forgive, let's do that this morning. If there's something that has been asked of you and you were quick to say no, why don't you call, pick up your phone and tell, 
Uh, Pastor, I've thought about it. I'll, I'll say yes. I don't know what I can do, but if you really need I'm here. Could you do that this morning? And we will, I can tell you this, if this starts to happen, and let's all pursue, catch the vision, take the vision and run with it. When we do that, and we start to share the gospel, and we start to focus on the main thing, let me tell you, there the Lord will pronounce a blessing. God bless you all.